As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. With us, Randy Krosner of Booth School. Randy, there's a trend of the smooth three-month moving average. I'm acting very PhD-E at the Eccles <laughs> Building. This is a very gradual trend to where Chairman Powell wants to get to. Does he have the time to wait for that trend to play out to something that's a lower statistic? Uh, that's, uh, I think you, you really uh, nailed it. That's that's the challenge. Now, it's it's moving in the direction that they, they wanted to move, finally. It's taken a long time to uh, to get there. Now, you know, as I've mentioned before, what they're hoping for is this immaculate disinflation where you just slowly um, weaken the, the labor market. Uh, unemployment rate only goes up to about 4.5%, which is not far from what they think of as the long-run average, and the uh, the inflation rate comes down. Now, the hot number on, uh, uh, on uh, wages is really not consistent with that. We're going to be getting another labor market report before the Fed makes its next decision. We'll be getting a lot more uh, inflation data that's coming in. But uh, as, I've, as I've said on this program before, the Fed's not going to quit until the labor market quits. And this is not a quitting labor market in, this, uh, in these data. How do you understand the average hourly earnings and how much they've gone up? I mean, given the fact that people were saying that we're starting to see this process where suddenly uh, workers are losing some of the power that they gained in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic, does this fly in the face of that and really confirm that perhaps we're in a different environment with a smaller workforce and perhaps uh, a greater sort of thrust to labor's power? Sure. So labor force participation is uh, is really key to that. And uh, and Mike had, had, had mentioned that that's one of the challenges that the, the, the Fed has had. You've got this lower labor force participation. You've got demand being continued to be very strong. Some of that had been from uh, fiscal stimulus from before, but continuing uh, on with uh, fairly strong, strong demand. And tight labor market means really one thing, which is mm-hmm. wages are going to go up. Fortunate, the, the, the hope is that they won't go up quite as fast going forward, um, but that's really uh, uh, that. So far, the, the data are not telling us that. Randy Krosner, thank you so much. Particularly, uh, Professor, thank you so much for your comments on our troubled banks here. He's at the Booth School, Chicago. Jeffrey Rosenberg of BlackRock, of course, portfolio manager, systematic multi-strategy fund. Great to see you. Good to see you. This Good is, to be here. This is like this is our work from office. Okay, it's great to have you here as well. You're being here. Is it a symbol of this job economy 
and maybe even of this troubled banking crisis that we're somehow getting back to normal? Well, we are getting back to normal in terms of the, the, the COVID part. I think when you look at today's report, as, as you guys have already covered, this is not getting back to the slowing that the bond market is expecting, that the Fed is hoping for, that's going to really bring down. Mike McKee said something at the beginning, which I want to echo, which is we're very far away from what these job market reports need to start to look like right. to begin to even get close to what the Fed is forecasting. Okay, I think the pros know that we need to get down to 120 100, even 85, whatever, maybe a couple negative statistics as some have, have called for in a presumed slowdown. But what's the unemployment rate that makes Chairman Powell sit up straight? Well, it's one that starts to rise. He said it in- It's in, a vector. It's it, not so much the level. It's the change that has to start showing the tightness in the labor market uh, or, or, or the, the tightness of the labor market beginning to ease uh, and, and, and getting some- some increases in the unemployment rate. He said it in the in the press conference that you know part of what is the price to pay for achieving success on inflation is a, a, a rate of growth that is a, for a small period of time or a temporary period of time below trend. Well, that's what you know it'll start to look like in the labor re report in a rising in unemployment rate. And nothing in this report really points to to any of that. So, do you think that the market is overpricing the boogeyman of some sort of crisis or cracks or something? To, to sort of cause this to to halt in its tracks and reverse in some sort of meaningful way. So let's separate um, the market pricing of what you know. What is a boogeyman? I think I think the market worries about tail risk, r shock events, crises, and and look the banking sector crisis that we saw in March and a little bit of a echo rebound that we've seen this week is that kind of thing. But that's very different than kind of fundamental economic performance. And that's not so much a tail risk. That's really much more about the trajectory. Now, the two can be linked, obviously, because if you have a crisis that feeds back into confidence and that it's the economy. But this this creates a real issue. And, and I'm wondering why we're not seeing it, frankly, in longer term treasury yields a little bit more and whether this is something you're thinking about. Because if you have this push pull and perhaps the Fed not being as aggressive as people thought that they would be just based on the economic projection, then isn't the risk of inflation remaining high for a longer period of time that much greater and not being priced? In. Yeah, and and it's the the pricing in of that should be the term premium, right? There should be a premium for holding longer dated maturities because you have more inflation risk and inflation uncertainty, and 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 that's the disconnect here. The market is really wedded to this view that we go very rapidly back down to a pre-COVID two percent inflation rate, and today's data is just kind of another piece of evidence that says that's not what we're really seeing in the economy yet. So the disconnect between what the Fed has been saying what Powell said earlier this week in terms of a lot more cautionary tale relative to what you see in the yield curve, the inversion, the lack of a term premium that your question was just asking about. That's very much still the tension that we're, we're dealing with. At Tepper, Carnegie Mellon, you had Alan Meltzer, Marvin Goodfriend, and the ginormous Bennett McCollum, who, who we lost late last year at 87 years old. And they hearken to what some people are looking at now, which is M2 exploding with the Biden stimulus and M2 coming out. For BlackRock, how disruptive is this huge variability of M2 and now signaling a real, almost like thick oil within the system? The engine oil is getting thicker and thicker, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it's 
it's a huge deal in terms of the structure of, of interest rates, of monetary policy. We went from a restrictive reserve system mm -hmm. to a excess reserve system, to a plentiful reserve system. And you've seen that in 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 in, in the banking statistics, right. for example, in terms of loan to deposit ratios, part of the increase in uninsured deposits that is kind of part of the source of what mm -hmm. we saw um, is because you flooded the system with so much liquidity right. and that M2. And so we're seeing that there are some unintended consequences, the role of RRP in creating competitiveness to deposits. That's all part of the newness of what does it mean to operate with uh balance sheet that went from 6% of GDP to 35% of GDP. And a lot of things that we just don't okay, know how it works when you start tightening. In the real world, folks, I mean, what Jeff Rosenberg is really doing here is this, the bond portfolio from 60,000 feet. What's your conviction three years out looking at a holistic BlackRock bond world? Well, the first conviction, is, three years out, the big change is we've reset the level, the starting level of yield, right? So when you think about bonds, bonds are about income. And when there was no income, it was very hard to kind of really hold right. on to bonds. So that restoration and the Fed getting off of zero interest rates and really this focus on inflation, well, the starting point of that is now five, five and a quarter interest rate yields. And, and so that resets the bond market. And that's why you've seen a lot of flows and a lot of interest come back to bonds. And that's, remember, we had a, a 10-year or longer period of several episodes of negative interest rates, zero interest rates. We talked about the that global <laughs> lack of yield. So you're seeing a, a restoration of bonds in the portfolio because uh, they're- I'm they're, gonna they're, steal that word. You're gonna, I'm gonna be saying restoration a lot. <laughs> the yields I got it. I got it from Jeff Rosenberg. This is, the, this is the issue, is that we're looking at the practicality of it, which is you are getting yield, and you're looking at the practicality of the data, which is that the economy is still strong, and the two ideas are kind of getting to be in conflict with one another a little bit where we're having to either see the Fed step in a little bit more aggressively to bring things back to where they want, or you have to see uh, something change in, in terms of people's assumption of the longer term inflation rate. What data are you looking at if it's not the labor market report, if it's not what the Fed said this week? This all doesn't seem to matter anymore as people just sort of hunker down with their narratives. So a um, couple of data points. So let's come back to your favorite data point, average hourly earnings in this report and 0.5. And, you know, why that one is is a hard one to anchor on is because it's so subjective. Uh, it's, it's so it's so uh, sensitive to the mix shift. So part of what you saw in the internals of today's labor report is a little bit less boost from leisure and hospitality, a little bit more spread. Those tend to be small, lower income changes. So when that mix shifts, that helps to boost. That's not giving us a good picture of inflation and wage inflation. That's just changing the mixture of what is in that component. Last week's ECI, a much better measure. Atlanta Fed wage tracker, much better measure. And, and next week, we'll look at core services, X housing as the kind of mapping to the labor market and the more stable long run indicator of where is inflation going to settle down. No one doubts that peak inflation has occurred. Inflation is declining. The shelter 
piece is going to decline and help push everything down. It's about do we get to 2% the way the bond market expects or do we maybe get to 3 and because Close of this wage dynamic, yeah. you, you end up having a lot harder time and the debate shifts to the cost of getting to, three ver- so to 2 versus 3 versus the benefits. In the here and now, historically, how hard is it to get to recession with a labor market report like what we just got? We're we're that's a three point four percent unemployment rate. Now, yes, it's a lagging indicator, and we get that. But again, what what Powell said earlier this week is a little bit of surprise that with five hundred basis points of tightening, you haven't really seen that much slowing. And you know, you look at earnings and what the companies are saying. You look at what credit markets are saying, high yield spreads, investment grade spreads, away from the banking sector, of course. And this is still a very robust economy, so the tightening is yet to show up. We expect Mm. it to show up, but it it, it hasn't yet. He said that eight months ago, too, as well. But that's the shocking thing, is that people were talking about the lag effects. Some people saying it's 18 months now, 12 to 18 months. But it is a serious thing, especially given the fastest pace of tightening going back to To go from Randy Crosland to Jeff Rosenberg is wonderful. Jeff, thank you so much, particularly for those thoughts on Bennett McCormick. Column and Carnegie at Mellon. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Paul and I and John and Lisa have been remiss and that it's been distraction May. It has been nuts this week. I'm not going to mince words on that. And what we're going to do right now is slow down and actually talk about the American labor economy. Tiffany Welding can do this. She joins us right now from PIMCO. Is her chief U.S. I only talk about the jobs report economist as well. (laughs) Tiffany, are we fully employed? Um, yeah, I, I think that um, for the most part, we think we're fully employed, you know, but I, I would say that it seems like every um, every labor market report, we're finding more and more people who can come back to the labor market or or maybe are unemployed and, and get jobs yeah. or, or, you know, maybe they're switching jobs. So you know, the labor market remains pretty strong and re- resilient here. I, I quoted with Anne-Marie Horton today, uh, folks, Bloomberg Balance of Power, look for that. Uh, sure. Anne-Marie Horton, our chief Washington correspondent. And Tiffany, I was quoting out of the Washington Post about how states beleaguered with sub-3% unemployment rates 
are trying to change their child labor laws, which which I find just like throwing us back to Dickens in the 19th century is a exaggeration. But hey, stay with me, folks. It's Friday. Are, are we in such dire straits for labor that we're going to employ kids? Um, well, you know, I don't, I don't know about that in particular, but I mean, I, I think the the bottom line is from a longer term perspective, the demographics in the United States, you know, would would um, point to lower labor supply over the medium term, you know, and that's, you know, regardless of of those kinds of policies. I think, you know, one of the other policies that that might make more sense is is immigration. Um, you know, our our neighbor country, um, uh, Canada, has obviously been able to achieve much more immigration. Immigration um, more recently than than in the U.S. You know, and as a result, their their labor markets are are looking a little bit less tight than ours. So you know, I think that right. I know it's really difficult to get labor um, to get immigration reform, but looking towards those policies, um, you know, also I think would be would be very helpful for the labor market. Can I editorialize, yeah. Paul, that 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 the reason we're having this conversation with Tiffany Wilding is over the success of America? Yep, absolutely. And Versus that, other nations. I, it's, it, that's a very good take. And, and Tiffany, my point to Tom, we were just talking off air before you came on, is how can we entertain recession, uh, recession discussions when we've got such a strong labor market? How, how do you think about that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a really good question. And the way I've been characterizing it, I guess a little tongue in cheek, is, is I think we have a two handed economy right now. Um, obviously, economists are famous for on the one hand, on the other hand, statements. But, you know, I do think that the decline in bank stocks is quite concerning. You know, and that's because, um, you know, historically, there's been a lot of academic analysis that's been done that suggests when you have bank stocks that are falling, you know, 30%, 40% on average, like what, what we've seen more recently, um, that tends to be indicative of of higher cost of capital for that industry, obviously, that tends to slow their loan growth. And that's really important for the economy for, for future growth. So um, statistical analysis suggests that when we have st- stock declines like what we've seen, you do tend to see, you know, one to two percentage point drags on, on GDP relative to what you otherwise would have gotten. So, you know, I think that is that is concerning. Um, and that does cloud the outlook. You know, and I think that comes on on the heels of, of just the fact that, you know, monetary policy policies tight. Demand for loans should also be uh, declining as you have higher interest rates. So, you know, I think all of this would still suggest monetary policy works with long and variable lags. That's still working its way through the economy. And, and there is still a recession that's, that's probably quite likely on the horizon, even though labor markets are strong now. Inflation is obviously very strong now. Um, you know, and it, and it, it may, may seem farther away. Tiffany, what was your takeaway from what we heard from uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell this week on Hey, raising the rates, uh, the base rate, 25 basis points. What was your take, key takeaway, if anything? Well, I mean, I, I do think that, as I mentioned, with this banking sector stress, I think the balance of risks are changing. You know, we've been talking about solely elevated upside risk for, for you know, over, you know, I would say maybe two years now. And and now that monetary policy is is solidly in restrictive territory, we do have this banking sector stress that, that um, can result in, in, in a, a bigger downturn. The risks, the balance of risks have just changed. And I think the Federal Reserve is responding to that. Monetary policy is a risk management exercise. Chair Powell has said that multiple times. And so they, fe- I think for the most part, the Fed, Fed officials feel like we're in restrictive territory 
right, let's just take a little break. We're going to go on hold for a little while and, and just see how the data plays out, see how these long and variable lags work out. You know, and of course, if things continue to be this robust by the end of this year, I would expect the Fed to hike again or, or potentially more really? a sequential. Yeah. Wow. But if it, if it's not right, you know, then then we're we're um, you know in the world that the bond market is pricing in right now, which is which right. rate cuts. Take the unit labor cost part of a three ratio six dynamic parts productivity <laughs> oh study. Boy. Oh boy! Yeah. And take the unit labor costs and pull that over to the worries, the angst of Chairman Powell and the team. Does yeah. that signal a persistency to elevated wage increases? even if it's not a real wage increase? Yes. It, no, it, it absolutely does. Um, the fact that unit labor costs are, are kind of sticky around, <laughs> you know, it looks like maybe 5 6%, yeah. you know, is very concerning. I mean, because that, you know, that does have a, a leading quality for core inflation. If you have, um, you know, wages, that, you know, whatever your labor costs are that are increasing, you know, that will be passed on for the most part, usually, um, to consumers and to price inflation. If I look across a range of a wage statistics, the core PCE, unit labor costs, as you say, I think the underlying trend in inflation right now, you know, looks like four, maybe even four and a half percent. And that's well above the two percent target. You know, so hopefully over time that comes down, um, you know, but there's a little bit of a, um, you know, there's a little, the other side of that coin is that, you know, the Fed probably actually needs to engineer a recession. They need, they've said they need some pain in the labor market in order to get that down. But you probably need that kind type of economic is, weakness, unfortunately, to, to solve that problem. Is there any study in your economic history, Tiffany Wilding, where a central bank, quote unquote, engineered a recession? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of times, right, where you um, where you see recession. You know, I would say over. No, three, you, you know, see it. But does the well, central bank so, wake up and go, let's engineer a recession? Well, they, they obviously never say that, um, you know, but if you look, you know, so we've looked over 70 years, 14 developed markets. Mm -hmm. When a central bank starts hiking interest rates, usually you get a recession on average about two to two and a half years after the start of a rate hiking cycle. Okay. You know, so there is something certainly to when central banks start to tighten policy, you do see economies, you know, weaken and, and eventually, you know, go into recession. Now, these these issues tend to be nonlinear. These periods tend to be kind of nonlinear in the sense that, like, mm -hmm. the Fed, the central bank's probably not trying to do that, but you have financial market accidents. You know, Jeremy Stein, it gets in the, you know, higher interest rates, you know, famously get in the cracks. And you just don't understand where the, the pockets of vulnerability are until you right. get to these higher levels. Um, okay. You know, and that, again, results in an economy that weakens in kind of a nonlinear way. So that's always a risk right. here. Thank you. Tiffany Wilding with us. So that wasn't nicer. Yep. We didn't really do bank stress. We just no. talked about it. She's the PIMCO. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. It seems like Monday was two years ago, but I believe I tweeted out on Monday about the fifth bank of the United States, and ultimately that is what the liberals and conservatives are arguing about is the scope and scale, John, of this banking system. Should we talk to somebody who's an expert? Uh, please do, yeah. Let's be do great. that. On the second bank of the United States and the fifth bank of the United States, Chris Marinek is an expert. He's director of research. Jenny Montgomery Scott and has really been excellent for us. My theme on this Friday, Chris Marinek, is let's get to the week. Friday. The banks have to get to the weekend. What should we see into Friday afternoon and this weekend from troubled banks with new book value uh, valuations that are shocking? Well, Tom, I think the reality is most of these banks just have security losses that are unrealized and those are getting better as Treasury rates fall. I think you could see some action from the Fed or Treasury to reinstitute the TAG program from 2008 that was guaranteeing transaction accounts. That would be very helpful. I think most of these companies have much more stable deposit flows than anyone realizes. And that's been the challenge all week is that we've had this temper tantrum against the Fed and using bank stocks as a weapon uh, against the Fed to try to get the Fed to change. Hey, Chris, well said. When you listen to some of the numbers coming out of the banks, they're telling you the deposits are stable. So when you hear people like Senator Warren say that we need changes to the limits for deposit insurance, does that actually change this story this week? Not really. I mean, I think it's good that she's supporting the, the changes in the limits, but I think the rest of the rhetoric is, uh, cor- is incorrect. What do you think is going to be the circuit breaker, Chris, to really prevent this temper tantrum from rearing its head again as we talk about the otherwise resilient economy? Well, changing the short sale rule would help. I think also instituting to some extent going back to the TAG program would be helpful. I'd like to see the Fed change the stress test program to accelerate the timing. The stress test results were already filed in April, and the Fed has an army of folks that they could uh, stick out to put this out next week. It would be very useful to know that most of the banks, if not all the banks, have passed the stress test. The reality is, if you look at the next 18 to 24 months of cash flow that the banks have, it covers 500 to 600 points of loan losses, which is just as much as we had in the great financial crisis. I don't think those credit issues exist today, despite all the worries on commercial real estate. If most banks really looked at their loan portfolio, did a 
uh, default loss given default analysis, you'll find that the credit marks and the credit losses are, are very moderate in the industry. I think we should recognize those and what they are and the ability for banks to absorb those losses with existing earnings and capital. And then we can reinstitute confidence back in the sector. You said short sellers uh, should be investigated. What do you make of the back and forth with Western Alliance in particular yesterday with shares plunging after the Financial Times report and then them coming out and saying this is just a tool of short selling? Is there validity to that? Do you think that people are going to exploit the jitters, the temper tantrum? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen stories that were rehashed from six weeks earlier on PacWest and again with Western Alliance. There was no news there. PacWest hired an advisor at the end of March, so that was completely <laughs> fail. I don't know why we continue to kind of create new narratives uh, just to just to help justify the positions. The facts are these banks have very good cash flow. They have deposits that are much more stable. Right. And really, liquidity has surged in the past two months. Chris, your note is blistering. You say the press reports are stale. Just for instance, I know a guy. He's a, he's, he's a guy that he's with the show uh, quite often through the week. He's going to sit with his barons open on Saturday and try to figure out which bank to buy. How do you select the good banks from the troubled banks on a Saturday morning as we've crashed. So we start with tangible book value, and then we apply the unrealized marks from HTM held to maturity portfolios. That's now disclosed in the FDIC call reports, and we've provided it, and so have some of our peers around the street. That gets you to adjusted tangible book. That's the first place to start. Then I think you look at the cash flow that banks have, the pre-tax, pre-provision, or what we call PPNR. It's the cornerstone of the Fed stress test. And then you apply that for the next uh, 12 to 24 months, and that gives you a loss absorption of the current loan portfolio. In addition to that, banks have got very well-disclosed uh, information on their loan loss allowances, on their credit marks, uh, and, per and particularly the amount of real estate that they have. Banks have been a wide-open kimono this time, which is massively different than what we saw in 2008-9. Chris, what I hear from you is that the price action is divorced from the fundamentals, and I've heard that a lot from a lot of analysts on a lot of banks this week. The problem I think that a lot of other people have, though, Chris, is that the fundamentals will be shaped by the price action. So even if you think the price action is divorced from the fundamentals, the price action is going to shape the fundamentals, Chris. Does that not concern you? Well, I lived it through 2009. Fifth Third is my favorite example. It hit a dollar in late February 2009. They came back three months later and raised capital at $6. And then at the end of 2009, the stock was 1460 So I've seen that happen uh, with many regional banks and all their other large companies as well. So I feel like that is the uh, 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 repeat event that is going on in my world. So I think we just have to have the confidence to move forward that the facts are that the banks have better credit quality, better cash flow than the investors understand. I realize that the bear case always sounds more intelligent, but it doesn't make it correct. So you think that these banks are viable with 5% interest rates for the rest of this year? Absolutely. It's difficult. It's not ideal, but they can make a spread. The spread will be narrower, but they can. Uh, and we think the deposit flows are much more stable than the market understands. Hey, Chris, wonderful to get your perspective. Thank you, sir. A constructive view from Chris Maranak there of Jenny Montgomery Scott. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, Tune in and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.